Political parties, it's a big lie, trying to make you pick sides, trying to make you burn the cities down and kill each other, they got sick minds, big lies, deep on the police so that there's big crime, to take away our freedom, to restore order, they let die, play with people, turn men into women, make the counterculture mainstream to mix up the system, change the pronouns, the gender is a spectrum, so is privilege, I know poor white folks and black folks. Nothing is what it seems. So Peru, Peru is somewhere where I said I wanted to go <laughs> for various reasons. I'm always like checking. <laughs> but we actually have a former president of Peru was decided to be extradited back to Peru. And then you say, what? What do you mean? Well, let's find out a little bit about Peru. And I'm going to go to, where is it? Um, I'm gonna, I found this video by a Prometheus that describes the history of Peru in 10 minutes. For those of you not familiar with Peru, it's a coastal nation. It's the one where people sit out in lawn chairs to watch UFOs on the Pacific. Well, let's take a look. The South American nation of Peru has a population of 33 million people. This extremely mountainous country is bordered by the nations of Ecuador and Colombia to the north. To the east, it is bounded by the massive Portuguese-speaking Republic of Brazil and landlocked Bolivia. Chile bestrides the remainder of South America's western coast, stretching down towards Antarctica. Argentina, Uruguay, Paraguay, Venezuela, Guiana, Suriname, and French Guiana inhabit the remainder of the South American continent. Although the short-lived... I'm so sorry. I had to pause for a second. Why? I wanted to go back a frame and I wanted you to look at the nation of Peru. Now, when you see it as a little strip, a long strip, you have to wonder, that must be one hell of a fucking bitch to defend, right? Your border is your whole nation. I just wanted to point that out. Let that simmer just as you watch. Just remember that this nation is all border and islands. Border, 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 border. It's got one, two, three. Just pointing it out. Let's continue. And French Guiana inhabit the remainder of the South American continent. Although the short-lived Inca Empire is the most well-known pre-Columbian state, numerous kingdoms, empires, and city-states. Damn it. I interrupted to tell you about freaking Chile, not Peru, the long border, because that's going to play a role for the Peru thing. And I was constantly saying Peru because Peru is going to be playing a role with Chile very, very soon that has a border that is a bitch. <laughs> I just wanted to mention it. I'm, I'm very disheartened with what's going to happen in Peru soon inhabited the land stretching far back into the region's prehistory, which provided a strong cultural socio-political foundation for the later Inca. Peru is home to the oldest known city in the Americas, Huarichanga, dated to around 3500 BC. This city was part of the Norte Chico civilization, which was centered around a little over a dozen towns and cities. From around 3200 BC onwards, these settlements were characterized by large communal building projects, including temples, plazas, and stepped pyramids. Their pyramids were built during the same time period as ancient Egypt's pyramids, although on a much smaller scale, and 2,000 years before the earliest pyramids of Mesoamerica were constructed far to the north. 
The Norte Chico civilization is highly unusual in history in that they built cities, monumental structures, and irrigation systems, while never creating ceramics. One theory for the demise of their civilization is that their advances in irrigation technology made their ancestral homeland less desirable compared to relatively nearby alternative sites. As their cities declined and were eventually abandoned, numerous smaller, well-irrigated settlements over a much larger geographical area spread to the north and south. During the succeeding Kotash period, pottery was first developed. The disparate settlements of this period grew into larger cities and coalesced into the Chavan culture. Throughout the Chavan period, advances were made in metalworking and farming technology. The effective cultivation of potatoes, quinoa, and maize aided the region's rapid population growth. As increasingly complex urban societies developed, the culture became less egalitarian with a powerful class of priests and hereditary nobility hoarding wealth at the top. The centuries of peaceful growth and coexistence of the Chavan period gave way to a more culturally regionalized and warlike age. Three rival power centers emerged at Lima, Moche, and Nazca. The Nazca are renowned for the many very large geoglyphs carved into the desert soil they left behind, depicting animals and geometric patterns. Around 400 AD, the city-state of Huari was founded, Wari welcomed migrants from all of the region's cultures and synthesized their spiritual beliefs into a new popular religion. In approximately a century and a half, as the city rapidly grew, Wari came to dominate all of the city-states of the Peruvian coast. Perhaps in response to this threat, the city of Tiwanaku, situated near the shores of Lake Titicaca and was now Bolivia, united the previously disunited city-states of the Highland Lakes under its leadership. Although it appears the two empires had a tense relationship, it is generally believed that they never engaged in a large-scale invasion of the other, as each side had a considerable defensive advantage. Mysteriously, both empires rapidly fell around the year 1000, and both of their capital cities were abandoned within a few decades of each other. Famine, natural disasters, civil uprisings, plague, and war have all been speculated to have been the cause for this collapse. Perhaps both empires finally fought a war, which destroyed both empires' prestige and internal authority, ensuring mutual destruction. In any case, after both capital cities were abandoned, many previously minor cities rose to prominence. Tiwanaku was succeeded by a loose confederation of prosperous kingdoms, while the Kingdom of Chimor asserted its authority over much of the Peruvian coast as the Wari Empire disintegrated. Around the year 1200, the small city-state of Cusco was founded by the previously unimportant Inca people. For more than two centuries, the Kingdom of Cusco expanded its territory very little, while the city prospered and its population grew. Cusco periodically raided its neighbors, and in return, the city was under frequent attack from the neighboring Chanca and Huanca peoples. In 1438, the Chanca invaded Cusco with overwhelming force. The Inca king Veracocha fled the city while his son Panchacuti defended it and defeated the enemy. Veracocha then abdicated the throne to his son Panchacuti, the ninth Sapa Inca, he embarked on several campaigns of conquest, transforming the kingdom into an empire. His successors, Tupac and Weyanacapac, enjoyed long reigns and greatly expanded the empire. The empire was at its height, and was likely inhabited by over 10 million people and growing. Massive building programs had been completed, like Machu Picchu and an empire-wide system of roads. The empire seemed to be on the brink of a golden age, when a strange disease swept through the land. The speed of its transmission was likely aided by the Inca's efficient road system. 
Three years earlier, the Spanish conquistador Hernán Cortés had completed the conquest of the Aztec Empire. He not only brought guns, horses, and steel with his army, unintentionally, he also brought with him a more effective weapon, a host of diseases that had never been encountered in the New World. Smallpox, measles, typhus, influenza, and diphtheria all ravaged the Inca Empire in repeating waves. The Zapa Inca, Guayana Capac, and his heir both died from the plague. His sons, Huascar and Atahualpa, proceeded to fight a brutal three-year-long civil war. Atahualpa was victorious, but over 100,000 of the empire's best troops perished in the fighting. Then, Francisco Pizarro González, the second cousin of Hernán Cortés, invaded with a small expeditionary band. Pizarro captured Atahualpa during a negotiation, and then tens of thousands of the Inca's malcontented vassals rallied to the Spaniards' cause, particularly the Inca's traditional enemies, the Huanca and the Chanca. After a massive ransom of gold and silver was paid for Atahualpa's release, Pizarro had him executed. In 1537, Cusco was taken after a ten-month siege. It took 35 more years, 40 in total, to complete the conquest of the Inca Empire. It is estimated that as much as 95% of the Inca Empire's population died within 50 years of the height of its power. Although many were slain by war and its horrible side effects, most died from disease. In 1542, the Viceroyalty of Peru had been established, with a capital on the coast at Lima. Under the Spanish Empire, the Viceroyalty of Peru expanded to cover most of the South American continent, before being broken up into smaller viceroyalties. Throughout the Spanish Empire, Peru played a vital role in its finances, particularly one mountain, Potosi. For over a century, more than 60% of the silver mined in the world came from Cerro Potosi. Sitting at over 15,000 feet above sea level, Potosi, a city of the same name, became one of the most wealthy and populous cities in the world. It was one of the fastest growing cities in history after silver was discovered there, growing from a few hundred to over 200,000 people in the span of a few decades. Later, as silver production slowed, the city declined. During the 18th century, two major rebellions occurred where the indigenous Quechua and Aymara people fought to establish independent territory. Both were brutally put down. In 1826, Peru gained its independence from Spain after a 15-year war, which was part of the larger Spanish-American Wars of Independence. Peru and Bolivia joined together to form a short-lived state, which was dissolved after an unsuccessful war with Chile. In all, Peru fought nine wars alongside and against its neighbors throughout the 19th century. Most were minor border clashes, with the exception of the War of the Pacific, where 35,000 casualties were suffered on both sides. Bolivia lost its access to the sea. During the 20th century, Peru had more border clashes with its neighbors, and the Peruvian Republic was largely governed by military junta. Like many other countries, Peru was also the stage for Cold War proxy conflict. Fortunately, over the past few decades, conflict has subsided, while the economy and average standard of living has drastically improved. Stability within the country has also meant that archaeology has flourished within Peru. Until relatively recently, very little was known about the pre-Inca civilizations of Peru, like the Moche. In the fascinating documentary, Lord of Sepan, available on this video sponsor, Curiosity Stream, the Moche civilization is brought to life by reenactors and beautiful-looking CGI reconstructions. The Lord of Sepan has been called the King Tut of the Americas, as his tomb has shed light on a little-known age. 
really don't like it when ads sneak in on me and I don't have the time. You know, speaking of South America, I've always said that I wanted to uh, move and retire to Argentina. And, you know, I've never been, I've always said that I just want to feed the penguins <laughs> at the tip, having coffee and watching. But in fact, it was um, that time that I was in Bolivia and then we traveled down through Bolivia to um, uh, South and we came across this town. There were like maybe about 10,000 people that lived there called Cafayate. And that is exactly uh, like for me, when I saw it, I thought to myself, damn, that's like a safe zone, right? It seemed, you know, like uh, a side uh, Spanish. It, it reminds me of like old Madrid, right? Old places of Madrid, or those of you that have been to Puerto Rico, kind of like Old Town, uh, San Juan, uh, but it looks like kind of Utah, right? But it just felt safe. And I can't elaborate on that anymore. That would be like, because then you, you're, you know, you're in proximity to Bolivia and, and, and Brazil in a sense, and, and Chile in a sense. So it's like a specific um, location. Now, Having said that, we are looking at Peru because of this extradition. And I want you guys just to be familiar with Peru because when things come down, I mean, the people, the people that are living in places like La Paz, Bolivia, you know, should be concerned. And the reason I say it, because the, the, the hotspot will be Tacna, Peru, which is, you know, already undergoing water, something, something, something. And what we're seeing with the Ohio River will happen. Uh, there's going to be a huge refugee flux, not anytime very soon, but it's coming soon because we have a new outbreak in Peru as well with um, thousands, right, of water creatures like sea lions literally dying in Peru from, get this, an avian flu. And they are calling it one of the biggest uh, outbreaks that can be occurring at the moment that they're also saying is happening. It, it's showing that there is a transmissibility now in humans. And that would make sense because we have been vaccinating the human population with avian um, host cells. So I want us to just continue learning about Peru. Um, this one's called Flag Day. It's it's. Uh, I've I've showed this channel before. They've got some really great information for those of you that like to learn. And this is what is important to learn. Right, we need to learn. Uh, it's it's quite interesting because then. When the events happen, you'll understand, you know, a lot of you are going about your days and we're talking about uprisings here, uprisings there. You know, we think we're woke and we're waking up. Oh man, we're the biggest sleepers. You know, Peru has been having a ton of protests in the past months, right? There are protests around the world because the revolution is not being televised. And people aren't looking to see, and again, I, I don't expect everyone, you know, to want to. I mean, we like to have that, you know, calming effect on our brain, like, uh, you know, we talked about the other day. You know, we want the cognitive biases. We want that ease in our brain. So we try to stay away. This is why we choose blue pills, right? And by not knowing our surroundings, you're going to be like, well, how is Peru going to affect me? Well, we've talked about Uruguay, and that'll come later. 
because I've already told you we're going to war in 2025. Now, you could take that to the bank or not. You're going to start seeing all the movements, all the deployments. People are on readiness in March. It's happening. There is no, oh, that is actually happening. Now, when things are going to happen anyway, what you do is you try to protect yourself. Now, the war will not affect us directly, considering that the cities will start to be taking domination. Uh, I'll stop. I don't want to rant. Let's go. Fan Friday. Hope you like the Peru episode. As you know, this is the part where we talk about the small little mistakes we made or things that didn't quite make it into the video. For one, uh, yeah, we had a few uh, small spelling mistakes. And also, the national animal of Peru is actually not the llama. It's the vicuña? Yeah, I was shocked when I found that out. Peru, everybody knows the llama. Like, what the? Also, there are a bunch of like cool little fun facts that we didn't put in the video. For example, in Cusco's cathedral, they have a painting of the Last Supper in which Jesus and his disciples are eating qui. Keeping it with the Peru theme, haha. <laughs> We did mention potatoes originated in Peru, but we didn't mention the incredibly important role potatoes played in this world's population. It helped somewhere around a quarter of the entire population grow between 1700 to 1900. In some tribal communities, they practice trial marriage, in which if the husband and wife get a divorce and they have children, the children are actually under the custody of the community, not the parents. Also, before many couples get married, they go into a period of servancy, in which they have to work and live with their in-laws. They have supposedly the oldest mummy in in the world that was found in the Atacama Desert. I wanted to talk a little bit more about Caral Supe. It is thought to be the oldest site occupied by humans discovered in the Americas. And also, despite the common pattern of political upheavals, poverty has actually significantly reduced from about 60% to 25% from 2004 to 2012. I guess uh, lots of tourism money helps. There's also a lot of other things I could have mentioned, but if you have anything you want to say, just put it in the comments. Otherwise, we gotta move on. So without further ado. <laughs> Ah, Peru, it was so fun researching this country because we all kind of know about the generic info, you know, like Machu Picchu and ceviche and stuff. So it was kind of a challenge to find the lesser known obscure facts like Capacola or the fact that about 10 to 20% of the population may have East Asian roots. In any case, they have a flag and we got to talk about it. The flag is a vertical tri-band of two colors, red on the sides, white in the middle. Often you may see the flag defaced with a coat of arms, but we'll talk about the coat of arms later in a bit. The white in the middle stands for purity and peace and... The red stands for It has been so long since we've had a blood animation. Thank you so much, Peru, for making the red stand for the blood of those who fight for the freedom. Oh, and uh, speaking of which, you can get a blood of those who fight for the freedom t-shirt on geographynow.com. Beautiful stuff. Oh, oh, we also have Geography Now mugs. And thank you, Ken, for making that animation. Anywho, the flag has gone through quite a few changes over the years. Of course, first they started out under the Spanish. After independence, though, in 1820, they had this flag. Then two years later, they switched to this, which looked like an arch nemesis of Argentina flag. And then three months later, they switched to like vertical bands. And then three years later, they switched the sun to the coat of arms. For three years, they joined Bolivia in a confederation and had this flag. The South Side kind of did their own thing. And after the dissolution of the confederation, they went back to the original. Now, as mentioned, often you can see the flag with the coat of arms on it, which is a great transition because we're going to talk about the coat of arms right now. The coat of arms is a shield divided into three sections. The upper left image depicting the national animal, the vicuña, representing the animals of Peru. In the upper right is an image of a 
Chona tree, representing the flora of Peru, which is actually the source of quinine, a substance used to fight against malaria, and is also the flavor of tonic water. Fun fact. And finally, the bottom image depicts a cornucopia with coins spilling out, representing the mineral resources of the country. On the sides of the shield are Peru flags draping down, and on the top is a crown of holm oak. And keep in mind, there's another coat of arms. It looks like this. It has a palm and laurel reef on the sides, tied with a ribbon at the bottom with colors of the Peru flag. Otherwise, historically, they've had a lot of other variants of their coat of arms. They all generally kind of follow the same format with small little minor iterations here and there. However, the first version kind of looked like a freaking Marvel Avengers movie poster with a billion things going on. I don't have time to explain it. Just look at it. It looks cool. And so, yeah, that is uh, just about it. So that means you know what time it is. It's time for Geography Fan Mail Time. So we are here again for Fan Friday, and as you know, we always need to have guest stars. So here they are, Mr. Caleb and Noah. Yay. You guys have done this many times. We always start off with postcards. Susie, I think, and Greg, who visited Poland. A postcard here from Finland. Yay, from Finland, here again. All right, right here I've got a postcard from uh, Eunice from uh, Marrakech. Anais from Toulouse, France. So I got here a postcard, a Hong Kong postcard from Arnie. It said, P.S. Keith, I bet you're excited about the new Tool album. Keith just left. All right. <laughs> All right, here I've got a postcard from Matthew and Elise. They vacation in the Outer Banks, North Carolina. This is funny. Um, this is from Montenegro from Tia. The Ten Commandments of Montenegro. If you guys didn't watch the episode, Montenegrins are known as the laziest country on earth. Corktown Co-Wexford. Saying keep up the great work and rock on, Keith, and stay frosty, Noah. You make sure to stay Thanks. frosty. Stay oh, frosty, my friends. See how frosty I can stay? Call me the Iceman. I thought it was Arnold Schwarzenegger. That's Mr. Freeze. No, that's Mr. Oh, Freeze. Victor Freeze. <laughs> <laughs> Ice to meet you. That was Arnold's best role. Yeah. For <laughs> sure. Uh, this is from, it says, hi, Barbs and Noah. Hello. From the Balearic Islands in Spain, Clements and somebody else. Uh, he's not, <laughs> these guys aren't the only people that are part of this team. I get no respect on this. Okay. Well, um, so I wanted to let that play because they gave me an idea. I should do that too. I should be opening up letters and stuff on camera when I get my studio. So I just wanted to throw that in there. Had nothing to do with Peru. Now, as as part of a Peru's kind of, uh, I would say makeup, it has a geography that's a little bit nuts. And literally the video that I found that explains it with nice pictures and walks you through is literally <laughs> titled, Peru's Geography is Crazy. Remarkable as Peru's. Take a look at this exaggerated relief map. The Andes Mountains cover the western side of the country, leaving little room between them and the ocean. Yet this strip of land is where Peru's largest cities are located, such as Lima, which has more than 10.5 million people in its metropolitan area. This narrow coastal strip that Lima sits on is a desert. As you move farther east, the elevation rises, and as you'd expect, the temperature cools. This eventually turns to steppe. As you keep going up in elevation, it transitions to tundra. But the other side of the Andes and the central valleys to an extent receive significantly more rainfall. As you go down the mountains, the short grasses of the tundra turn to taller grasses and shrubs, eventually turning to a subtropical forest, and then rainforest at the lowest elevations. The country is home to 13 of the world's 30 climate zones. By some accounts, that puts it tied for fourth as the most climatically diverse country in the world, tied with Mexico and only sitting behind countries much larger in size, the US, China, and India. 
The majority of the Amazon rainforest is of course in Brazil, at 58%, but the country with the next highest percent of the rainforest is Peru, at 13%. Only about 10% of Peru's population live in this region. The largest metropolis in the Peruvian Amazon is Iquitos, which is home to around half a million people. It is also the largest city in the world that cannot be reached by road. It is accessible only by river and air. This region is home to thousands of different animal and plant species, but more on biodiversity later. First, let's head back across the Andes. The Andes Mountains were caused by the subduction of the Nazca Plate beneath the South American Plate, which also resulted in what is known as the Peru-Chile Trench. The Peruvian Andes Mountains, as most of you are probably already aware, is where the famous Inca town Machu Picchu is located. You've probably seen another famous Peruvian mountain without realizing it. This mountain was the inspiration for the newer Paramount Pictures logo. The natives of the Andes Mountains, specifically those of a region shared with Bolivia called the Altiplano, also known as the Andean Plateau, have adapted to the thin air by developing an ability to carry more oxygen in each red blood cell, meaning that they breathe at the same rate as normal people who live at sea level, but the Andeans have the ability to deliver oxygen throughout their bodies more effectively than people at sea level do. On top of just being natural superhumans, the Peruvians adapted to the mountainous landscape with terrace farming, and they grow different crops at different levels of elevation, depending on what grows best. These mountains are home to the highest town in the world. It sits at around 5,100 meters or 16,700 feet in elevation. The town sits next to a gold mine, so as the price of gold grew in the first decade of the 21st century, a few small camps quickly rose to around 30,000 people. Within the Peruvian Andes is also the second highest railroad in the world. As far as natural wonders go, Peru is home to the world's highest major body of navigable water. Its name is Lake Titicaca. This lake is shared with Bolivia and sits at 3,800 meters or 12,500 feet in elevation. It is also the largest lake in South America. But maybe the weirdest random fact about the Peruvian Andes is that it is home to the point with the weakest gravity on Earth. This would be the highest southern summit of Huascaran, the highest point in Peru, the northern Andes, and in all of Earth's tropics. It stands at 6,768 meters, or 22,205 feet. Its gravity is around 0.7% lower than the place with the strongest gravity, which is at the surface of the Arctic Ocean. The variation in gravity is due to a combination of factors. This includes Earth's rotation and its resulting equatorial bulge, which make gravity around the equator slightly weaker, altitude, and varying densities of Earth's crust. Huascaran's gravity is lower because it sits close to the equator, and its summit is high in elevation. I've left a link in the description to a video that explains this in more detail. The mountain is also responsible for two of the three deadliest avalanches in recorded history, both of which happened less than 10 years apart. One in 1962 that killed approximately 4,000 people, and another in 1970 that killed over 20,000 people. This avalanche was the result of a 7.9 magnitude earthquake. The earthquake affected an area of about 83,000 square kilometers, an area larger than Belgium and the Netherlands combined. In total, the earthquake resulted in the deaths of around 70,000 people, caused 50,000 injuries, destroyed roughly 200,000 homes and buildings, and left approximately 800,000 people homeless. The country is prone to earthquakes because of the convergent boundary that the country sits on. 
This has also created volcanoes. Peru has 31 volcanoes, 16 of which are active. This zone is part of the larger region called the Ring of Fire, a horseshoe-shaped belt around the Pacific Ocean, where volcanoes and earthquakes are common. The Andes create what is called a rain shadow effect. Moist air is blown from the east. That moisture essentially becomes trapped in the mountains, resulting in the arid landscape on the other side. Though another reason for their aridity is the Humboldt Current, also known as the Peru Current. Air moving north is cooled by the cold water current, conditions that result in low precipitation, though interestingly it generates fog. This also inhibits the formation of tropical cyclones. It makes little difference, but what parts of the arid coast belong to what desert are different depending on who you ask. Some say the entire Peruvian desert is the Sechura, while others say that it meets the Atacama within its borders. The lowest point in Peru, and all of the southern tropics for that matter, is located within the desert. The lowest point is 34 meters or 112 feet below sea level. The Peruvian desert is also home to the famous Nazca Lines. Because of its isolation and the dry, windless, stable climate of the plateau within the desert where the lines are located, they have mostly been preserved naturally. This climatic diversity of Peru has of course resulted in diversity of plant and animal life. Peru is the fifth most biodiverse country in the world. The only countries with more native plant and animal species are Brazil, Indonesia, Colombia, and China, two of which are significantly larger countries. Peru is home to 18.1% of all bird species on Earth. The only country with more is Colombia at 18.3%. There are more than 17,000 species of butterflies in the world, and Peru holds the largest number of them, with more than 4,000 species. With over 700 different varieties of fish and 400 varieties of shellfish, the waters off Peru's coast is a highly diverse ecosystem on its own. It's also one of the most successful commercial fisheries in the world. This is largely due to the previously mentioned Humboldt Current. The current causes a welling up of marine and plant life on which the fish feed. But every three to seven years, the weather event, El Nino, negatively impacts fish abundance and distribution. El Nino is a band of warm ocean water that disrupts the flow of the Humboldt Current, destroying the feed for fish. Peru has a lot of other interesting features relating to its physical geography. Here are a few not already mentioned. A river that reaches near boiling. Rainbow Mountain. A stone forest. A canyon that is nearly twice the depth of the Grand Canyon. The second highest sand dune. The world's largest left-hand wave. The fifth tallest waterfall in the world. Another waterfall that's somewhere between the 3rd and 16th tallest, depending on who you ask and how it's measured. And the farthest source of the Amazon River. What other interesting geography facts about Peru did I miss? Let me know in the comments below. The cool facts are gravity is different in Peru, their blood is different, and... Their former president that was president between 2000 and 2006. Until, you know, the Bush transition, Obama transition, State Department came in, right? He was terrified. He was trying to keep things close, like family, you know, because that's what you do, right? When you take office and you know that there's some nefarious shit about your country, he actually led, you know, this big thing, like a big protest back in the early 2000s. Uh, you know, I didn't work the South American desk at the time, um, but because I was 
in South America in uh, around 2002, uh, you know, I would listen to conversations. You know, usually people are like, I don't want to know because if you know, then people can question you. I would always listen, but I'd pretend I'm not listening. How does that make, you get what I'm saying? I'd be busy and I always had earpieces in. People always thought that I was listening to music because I'd bob my head every now and then to make it believable, but it was actually an amplifying device so that I can listen to everything. I do that. <laughs> so anyway, um, Let's talk about um, what's going on and what's going on now. Holy Toledo, Alejandro Toledo, was the president of Peru. They were chasing him down because of corruption, apparently. In California, just a little while ago, they've decided, Biden's State Department decided to extradite the 74-year-old former president to be held accountable for corruption crimes in Peru. And the corruption crimes were using friends to build things, using friends to do things, and hunkering down on the healthcare system to not associate with bigger powers. And then you'll have to wonder, well, it's just Peru. Well, Peru, just so you get a size of it, you got to add France and Germany together, right, as nations. That's how big Peru is, pretty much. I think it's a little bit bigger. So it's pretty big and it's pretty different. It's got the circle of hell right there. Circle of hell is right there. Tartar is right there. So it's very interesting that this happens now while they just had another coup. Thanks to people like Newland, but I won't blow the name that assisted in this Peruvian shit. But let's, Let's get this to continue. You want to know how much power Peru has? Let's see. Let's see what the internet says. 16, former Wall Street banker and finance minister Pedro Pablo Kaczynski defeated leftist party leader Keiko Fujimori in Peru's presidential election. Kaczynski's win, which was secured by a razor-thin lead of roughly 40,000 votes, marked the country's slow but steady shift towards neoliberalism. Peru has one of the fastest growing economies in Latin America, putting it in stark contrast with its neighbors, Venezuela and Brazil. So exactly how powerful is Peru? Well, Peru is the third largest Latin American country. At nearly half a million square miles, it's slightly smaller than the US state of Alaska. Peru's population of just over 30 million has more than doubled in the last 40 years and is increasingly concentrated in urban areas. These city dwellers benefit the most from Peru's economic prosperity. Peru's GDP of more than $200 billion has quadrupled since 1999, due mainly to demand for its largest exports, which are copper, gold, and petroleum gas. The country's growth has also been attributed to its expansion of free trade. Over the last decade, Peru has negotiated trade deals with 18 countries and the EU, and in recent years, Peru has signed the Trans-Pacific Partnership, as well as a trade pact with Chile, Colombia, and Mexico called the Pacific Alliance. Peru's increasingly pro-business government has been credited for the country's increasing wealth and plummeting poverty rate. However, much of Peru's large rural and indigenous population still suffer from endemic poverty, and the state's been criticized for promoting policies that solidify the country's income inequality. What's more, Peru's rapid growth has slowed in recent years due to a global slump in commodity prices. Nonetheless, the country has avoided the steep recession affecting its resource-rich neighbors, Venezuela and Brazil. 
When it comes to military power, Peru is only getting stronger, with nearly 400,000 defense personnel and a more than $2.5 billion annual budget, the country ranks 40th worldwide in terms of military strength. Peru abolished the draft in 1998, only to reinstate it in 2013. The country's economic prosperity led to better opportunities for its citizens, which had caused a decline in military recruits. Additionally, though it's a completely separate organization, Peru's roughly 120,000-person police force is often compared to the army. This is because, for decades, Peruvian police have been trained to combat terrorism and have acquired a number of army-like characteristics and capabilities. So, militarily and economically, Peru is on solid ground. But the country is not without problems. Peru is one of the world's largest producers of cocaine and struggles with rampant crime and corruption. Like most of Latin America, Peru is grappling with plunging commodity prices and, as a result, an economic slowdown. But its new president has promised to address many of these issues, even floating a plan to incorporate the informal economy into the taxation system. Should he succeed, we could soon see an incredibly powerful Peru. Peru's neighbor, Brazil, is a dominating force in Latin America. But how does it compare to the rest of the world? Find out in this video. Brazil also operates large-scale military operations to protect the Amazon rainforest, which includes jungle defense forces on the ground and an extensive surveillance network to ensure its security. Thanks for watching Secret. Dios mío, eso es muy frustrante. Dios nos ayude. Como decía, Perú es muy interesante. Poderoso o no? Protestas y golpes de estado. Like when does it stop? Well, let's, let, let me continue. Because this is the actual precursor to what's happening. Tonight, Americans arriving home after being trapped in Machu Picchu for days as civil unrest sweeps Peru. Among them, Miami-Dade Police Sergeant Yesenia Munoz. It was just frustrating not having an answer, like not being able to move, not do anything. Around 300 foreign tourists were stranded at the base of Machu Picchu. Most, if not all, have been evacuated or moved to a major city, according to Peruvian officials who tweeted, the transfer of tourists stranded has been completed. Hey guys, walking along on the train tracks here. Some, like Miami-Dade Fire Rescue Captain Brian Vega, forced to make their way out on foot. <laughs> I'm beyond elated and relieved to be back in, at home in the good old USA with my wonderful, wonderful wife and family. The deadly unrest erupted across Peru earlier this month after the former president, Pedro Castillo, was impeached and arrested. His supporters took to the streets, clashing with police forces in violent protests that have left highways blocked, train services suspended, and tourists trapped. We just really want to get back to our families. More than 50 people have died. None appear to be foreigners. U.S. officials now urging Americans to reconsider travel to Peru, as those now returning are grateful to have gotten out. I'm happy that he's home before Christmas. Priscilla Thompson, NBC News, Miami. <sighs> so, we had deadly unrest. Americans escaping Peru. <laughs> and it got a footnote. Well, there's more, right? There's definitely more. I actually looked this up and I found one where it talks about the president, you know, being ousted. And they call it 
disturbios mortales. Really, that's all, right? It's just that. They're just protesters. It's the State Department, the Newlands of the world, right, that assist in this. These are death rattles, and the damn Peruvians are just following suit. Conspiracy after being ousted by Congress. Castillo had earlier tried to dissolve Parliament and install an emergency government hours before he was to face an impeachment vote. Now, Peru's former vice president, Dina Boluarte, has been sworn in as president. She's the first woman to lead the country. Tear gas and turmoil in Lima after a day packed with political drama. It began early in the morning with Pedro Castillo's announcement that he was dissolving parliament ahead of its third attempt to impeach him since he took office in 2021. His announcement sparked demonstrations on the streets, mass resignations from his government and defiance from the opposition-dominated Congress. It moved up the impeachment vote, which passed with only six votes against. Vice President Dino Boluarte was sworn in as Peru's first female president shortly after. In her first speech to Parliament, she didn't mince words about Castillo's removal. There has been an attempted coup d'etat, an attempt promoted by Pedro Castillo, which has not found an audience in the institutions of democracy and on the streets. In Lima, many demonstrators backed his removal. Castillo is trying to run away from justice. He's opted for the last resort, trying to dissolve the Congress. But supporters of Castillo, whose 17 turbulent months in power were marked by five cabinets, six criminal investigations and two earlier failed impeachment attempts, were furious. From the beginning, President Pedro Castillo has not been allowed to work. President Castillo has been slandered. That's why we're going through what we're going through now and why this corrupt Congress needed to be dissolved. He was elected by all the Peruvian people, not just Lima. The people are the whole country, the whole of Peru, and they have to learn to respect the will of the people. Castillo, who left the presidential palace after being removed from office, has been arrested and charged with rebellion and conspiracy. If convicted, he could face years in prison. DW's Latin America correspondent Nicole Ries spoke to us earlier about the latest political twists and turns in Peru. It was one last attempt to cling to power, but instead ex-president Pedro Castillo has managed to put himself in a much worse situation, committing political suicide and allowing Congress to go after what they have been wanting for for months now, basically replacing him. Pedro Castillo's presidency has been marred with the accusation of corruption, which is also why he had lost so many votes and so much confidence among his own people. Now that he is not president anymore, he has also lost the immunity that he once enjoyed and will sooner or later have to face trial in connection to these accusations. In the meantime, Peruvians have to face another political crisis and most of them, a majority, would like to see fresh elections in order to be able to decide what is best for the country and where Peru is heading. Ah, oh, Castillo, right? What do you say? 
Me di cuenta de que está, estaba uh, hablando español. Olvido qué idioma se supone que debo hablar cuando estoy inmerso en documentos de otro idioma. So I'm going to read some of those, right? Because I sometimes forget what language I'm supposed to be speaking when I'm immersed reading documents in another language. And I, someone texted me, you were cursing or saying, oh my God, or something like that. I didn't even realize it. It's because I've been reading this document while I'm listening and watching to the clip you're saying that I'm playing so that I can demonstrate to you what our country has been doing. So um, there was a filing in um, California, in San Francisco, of all places, right? Which was in the matter of the extradition of Alejandro Toledo Manrique. And basically, they've now decided that they're going to send him back. And now we have Castillo, who decided that he was going to bond with the, the bordering nations. His problem was that he had conversations with the Bolivians, and then the Bolivians didn't have the same conversation with the Chileans and the Chileans and others. And... Well, Peru got made. And now they're they're being torn apart. They're going to have some fake elections now. You know, Castillo was completely concerned with the immense amount of debt and the IMF just rubbing their bony, creepy, reptilish fingers together all excited. Um, and Bolivia has not aided in any of this. I don't know how they've left Bolivia alone unless they've already planned to take the two rivers up north, right, and, and do something. But for now, we have extreme unrest. And I want to show you um, who Alejandro Toledo is because he organized street protests against President Fujimori, who ran away and went to Japan and then proclaimed to be a Japanese citizen when he ran off. I want you guys to see him on an interview so you can see and make your own decision of what you think this man is actually guilty of. Experiencia extraordinaria. Yo era un profesor que escribía libros sobre pobreza en Harvard, en Stanford. Pero me di cuenta un momento que estaba escribiendo libros solo para la biblioteca sin afectar la vida de los pobres. Y aunque yo salí de la extrema pobreza como resultado de un error estadístico, no podía olvidarme de mis hermanas y hermanos que se han quedado todavía en el hueco oscuro de la pobreza o la pobreza extrema. Decidí entrar a la política sin nunca haber participado en mi vida y sin tener un partido. Decidí con cinco ex, eh, alumnos míos iniciar un partido Perú Posible en 95 en el 2000. Pero en el 2000 me tocó no, no ser candidato. Me tocó, el destino me puso a liderar un movimiento democrático para recuperar la democracia primero y después pensamos en elecciones. Hicimos la marcha de los cuatro suyos. Participé en el año 2000, abril del año 2000 y gané las elecciones 
tuve 49% y Fujimori tenía 41%. Sin embargo, cuando él escuchó los resultados, mandó cambiar porque controlaba todo, el Jurado Nacional de Elecciones, la oficina de la OMPE encargada de conducir los procesos electorales. A las cuatro... So for those that are not Latino speakers that are going to be listening to this podcast, here's a little recap. This guy is highly intelligent. He came from poverty and rose up. You know, he ran and won the elections by 49% where his opponent that ran away and became a Japanese citizen uh, lost at 41%. What he realized is that there was a lot of election fraud. He controlled the National Committee over elections and everything. If you guys remember, we had the same shit going on in 2000. I want you guys to be taking the 40,000-foot view and think, okay, in 2000, what else happened? Remember hanging chads? Remember? Let's just keep going. de la tarde sabíamos los resultados y a las 8 de la noche se revirtieron. Él tenía 49 y yo 41. And if you just noticed, what he said was, you know, it was all fine. And then the next day, instead of him winning with 49% and the other guy losing with 41%, the vote switched. And the, the loser that ran away to Japan won by 41 and he won by 49%, right? So the loser got the 49 and apparently he lost. So they reversed the results. They swapped them. Pay attention. Y los canales de televisión... Fueron en blanco y pusieron Donald Duck, el chavo del ocho. Me tocó liderar muy fuerte. Me robaron 750 mil personas en la calle, jóvenes de la universidad que fueron indignados con el robo de las elecciones. Todos los partidos políticos. Esa noche hubo un 750, otra vez hubo un millón en las calles. Jóvenes. Yo le digo a los jóvenes de los Estados Unidos y del mundo que nunca se cese la capacidad de indignación para buscar tu dignidad de hacer justicia y ser libre. Me tocó liderarlo, marchar, convocar a los cuatro. All right, so recap, and I want to pause on that quote because it's amazing. He said, you know, as these elections were doing this, right, uh, that they were as they were stealing these elections, what happened was um, the TVs went dark and suddenly they were playing, Mickey, you know, cartoons like Donald Duck and stuff. They went dark on election night and that's what happened. And so he needed to stand up and be a leader and say no more and led, you know, a protest. And he said to the people of the United States, and these are his words. I say to the youth of the United States and the world that they must never lose the ability to become outraged in their search for dignity. And, of course, freedom. For being just and being free. This is the man our nation just extradited back to Peru for crimes. And I'll show you how these alleged crimes, well, who did it? Let's go. Y ser libre. Me tocó liderarlo, marchar, convocar a los cuatro suyos del Imperio Incaico. Hicimos el 28 de julio 
26, 27 y 28 de julio una manifestación extraordinaria donde hablaron todos los líderes políticos. Habló el presidente Fernando Belaúnde de Terry. Vinieron de los cuatro suyos y yo fui a buscarlo. Trataron de eliminarlo. Hicieron todo para impedir que lleguen. Muchos salieron de los rincones del Perú. No todos llegaron, unos se quedaron en el camino porque lo interrumpieron. So again, to recap for those listening on the podcast, he decided to hold an event, almost like the event that happened on January 6th, where it was like a three-day event. He came in before, there were shows and this, right? And it was a three-day event where the Incan Empire, people from all cities, major cities in Peru came and political leaders spoke. It was almost exactly the movement we did. They won doing this back then. No, obviously, he paid a dear price for it. He realized just how many politicians were snakes. He realized that he needed to keep it tight, so he kept his advisors close. And any contracts that he would award, it would be to people that were Peruvian, that he knew, and he was like, I want them to get the contract, I want them to do it, because he was worried that they were going to use deficient products, that it was going to be bugged, that it was going to be against what the Peruvian wants. So they used Alejandro Toledo, right, as an example. So the question is, you know, now... Peru has Castillo that they're going to be charging for corruption and they're going to have him being charged for corruption that happened while he was allegedly president. And you remember Chavez was under fire then. That's at the point where it afterwards that Chavez that had turned around and said, you know what, this is BS. You know, the Clintons gave me cancer. Obama gave me cancer. You know, there was a lot of turmoil because there was a big land grab going on for South America. So obviously they reversed course and decided to do the whole debt scheme. This is how we own them, brainwash them, give them a lot of stuff. And they're the, one of the most highly vaccinated countries right now in South America. And circling back to the other video where they're in the circle of hell, or what do they call it? The ring of fire, that their blood is different in relation to how they carry oxygen. That has to do with their hemoglobin. It's specific and genetically specific. And, and, and they have, what else? A weird gravity too. But they also have this really cool place called Maris. Now, that's interesting. If you guys want to go do some digging, you should see what Maris Peru has to offer. It's pretty salty. Sin embargo, cuando me robaron, decidí movilizar las calles con una vincha en la frente. Fue muy duro. Porque estaba usted luchando contra un régimen que tenía, primero, muchísimo dinero. Narcotráfico y tráfico de armas. Se encontró un avión presidencial lleno de coca, cocaína. Un barco lleno de cocaína. Y encontraron armas que compraron en Bielorrusia, atravesando Jordania, para, atravesó el Perú para entregárselo a las FARC en Colombia. Y tenían controlado todo, el Poder Judicial, el Congreso, Jurado Nacional de Elecciones, la OMP encargada de llevar adelante las elecciones, las Fuerzas Armadas, la Iglesia. Tenía todo. 
Esto fue David contra Goliat. Y solo con la fortaleza de las piernas que nunca se doblegaron, logramos recuperar. Dang, those are dang, dang good quotes. And now at the age of 74, the Biden administration has decided to send him back. And he says, after seeing all this corruption that they owned everything, and only with the strength of legs that never bow were we able to recover democracy. Logramos recuperar la democracia. 19 amenazas de muerte, bombas lagrimógenas, hemos tragado gases lagrimógenas. Pero hemos ganado. Tumbamos un gobierno dictatorial corrupto presidente Fujimori aprovecha una reunión de la... So they overthrew the government. And Fujimori was at an APEC meeting in Brunei. <laughs> Remember Brunei and the jet and the Clintons. I have an article about that, but let's keep going. APEC en Brunei sale con el avión presidencial de aquí hasta Los Ángeles. Deja el avión presidencial en Los Ángeles y continúa un avión comercial a Brunei para después irse. So he's explaining how he ran away. He took the presidential plane and landed in Los Angeles. Had a conversation with the Americans, hopped onto a commercial flight and bumped off to Brunei. And that's where he sat with the same people. They're in articles on torysays.com. You'll see the jets and you'll understand. And he went to Japan where he forfeited his previous whatever, and he declared Japanese citizenship. That's how it happened. Al Japón y renuncia por fax a la presidencia, como si fuera una película de Hitchcock o un surrealismo político. Y descubrimos, cuando fueron a su provincia, descubrimos que tenía una partida de nacimiento y no era peruano. Oh, what did they discover? They discovered he wasn't even a Peruvian and he was president. Right? Yo no sé cómo es en los Estados Unidos, pero en el Perú para ser presidente tiene que ser. Yeah, I don't know how it is in the United States, but in Peru, to be president, once, one must be Peruvian by birth. Peruano de nacimiento. Yo entiendo que en los Estados Unidos también. Se metió a la mafia japonesa. Yakuza. He got involved with the Yakuza Mafia in Japan. Postula al Senado de, lo, de Japón con su nacionalidad japonesa. Pierde. And he did. He groveled so that he can get Japanese citizenship. Now here's the thing. The guy is getting extradited. It's done. It passed through the court. Peru is going to receive him during this turmoil with Castillo. There are options that the Peruvians can do, and I hope that this gets dubbed to be aired in that. Um, oh, I want to remember. Oh, I have to remember. Oh, it's by Arica. There's a small town there where they actually, I have a Tori Says kind of listening club in Peru. Um, damn. It's not in Chile. It, Arica's on, on the border. Trying to remember that border town. Damn it. I forgot. But anyway, there's a group there. 
you know what would be great? If the people of Peru or the people of South America assisted in raising up the profile of him, because at the age of 74, he's pretty fit. Maybe he can help him break the spell by coming back. Because he, he was trying to, so get this. They say that he was money laundering because he was trying to get money into some foundation um, that was going to be a lot. And he requested to put all this money in there because what he wanted to do was build up Peru separately from what people were there. But the thing is, he had Gideon Weinstein with him. That was his big mistake because he was an asset. And so he monitored everything so they can find something. And they tried to get him nailed as the person that, you know, what was it? Uh, that laundered all this money, but it was other people. Because if you pay attention to it, Odebrecht that had 20, you, it was like 20 million US dollars. They gave money to Trailbridge, Mojave, and then that went down to other companies and other companies and other companies. And, you know, they're talking about how the money was going into this guy's um, bank account in the United States and another one, um, another personal account. But here's the fun part. Fernenberg in the United States had money. And with that money that he received as a kickback, which was $1.8 million, they were purchasing an office at Torre Omega, which was close to a million dollars. There was a payment of a mortgage on a, on a house that they had, which was 217000 and a payment of a mortgage plus interest on a Punta Sal house, which was 277000 So based on that, but those payments that were given out, Trailbridge, um, you know, and all these other things, they wanted to catch him on corruption. He was trying to organize an army to come back um, post his removal from being president. And this is why he was removed. Hold on. Here we go. Let me show you an interview with him and George Bush. Maybe you'll understand it better here. Here we go. have uh, grown to admire uh, President Toledo for his strength of character, his clear vision, his willingness to make difficult decisions, even sometimes when, uh, you know, the popularity polls suggest he do something differently. Leadership requires strength of character, the willingness to make tough choices. We soon will sign the free trade agreement and we'll continue working for the approval of that. I always admire this about my friend. He is, he says that one of his biggest goals was to reduce poverty. And he recognizes that while progress is being made, a lot of progress, that more needs to be done. He cares deeply about the people of Peru. He's a man of, He's got a, a, a corazón gigante. And uh, I'm, uh, it, it's a joy. Peru and Latin America are partners with the United States in more than just a free trade agreement. It's a very important free trade agreement because it generates jobs and enables to continue a sustained rate of economic growth to reduce poverty. But we also partners in strengthen the democratic values in the region. 
We're also partners in the fight against narco-trafficking and terrorism to continue a sustained rate of economic growth to reduce poverty. But we're also partners in, after I finish and pass away I, the power to the next president, the Peruvians and Latin Americans do not want to go to, through the cycles that creates instability that does not attract capital investment to continue growth, to generate jobs, to invest more in health, nutrition, education, and to reduce poverty. It means to have the degrees of tolerance to entertain our differences. And that's Bush was falling asleep because he couldn't understand anything else. It's free trade agreement. Free means you're the product, right? That's usually how it goes. Now, let's see what Obama and the president, Alan Garcia of Peru, had to say, which was post Alejandro Toledo. Meeting, uh, with uh, President Garcia and want to welcoming not only the Oval Office, uh, but uh, also say to the Peruvian people how much we appreciate the friendship between our two countries. Uh, Peru, I think, has been an extraordinary success story over the last several years. Uh, we've seen not only uh, the solidification of a thriving democracy, but also uh, an extraordinary economic success story. And even last year, in the midst of uh, a very tough global recession. Uh, we saw that uh, Peru was uh, able to remain resilient, and I think that's a testimony to uh, the President's uh, leadership on this front. Uh, we had an extensive conversation about a range of issues uh, on our bilateral relationship. We agreed to continue to pursue uh, the details of the free trade agreement that has already been executed uh, so that it is creating jobs and prosperity in both countries. Uh, we discussed uh, how we can work together uh, on security issues. We also talked, though, about uh, a broader international vision of uh, how we can continue to promote democracy, human rights, uh, press freedoms, uh, economic uh, development, not just for those at the top, but also uh, from the bottom up. Uh, poverty reduction. Uh, these are all issues that the President has some uh, excellent track records of success uh, in his own country, uh, and we want to continue to be an effective partner with Peru uh, as uh, they continue to grow uh, and develop. Uh, finally, uh, we discussed some important international uh, uh, geopolitical issues. Uh, one of the main concerns that both uh, President Garcia and I share uh, is the issue of nuclear nonproliferation. Uh, we recognize that it's important to leave to the next generation uh, a country that has fewer nuclear threats rather than more nuclear threats. And so I very much appreciate Peru's strong stance on that issue. Uh, we also discussed the environment, issues like climate change, uh, and we came to recognize that we can't solve these problems uh, individually. A single country can't uh, solve these problems, but we have to work together in partnership. Uh, that's the kind of relationship that uh, the President and I have established personally, 
It's the kind of relationship that our countries have been able to establish uh, over the years, and it's a relationship that uh, I expect will continue to grow and develop uh, in the years to come. So, welcome, Mr. President. Thank you very Thank much. You, Thank you. Thank you. Acabamos de tener una excelente reunión con el presidente García. Quiero darle la bienvenida a la oficina Oval y también quiero eh, saludar al pueblo peruano a través suyo y darle las gracias por su amistad. Uh, you know what? We're not even going to listen to Garcia, the bootleg Peruvian that sold out his nation uh, to bow down to Obama. Like, I don't even want to, you know, even look at that. Now, uh, Alejandro Toledo um, in California, he's a permanent legal resident, right? Um, the U.S. State Department agreed to extradite him on corruption charges. And what's interesting is, is that, you know, now that the Secretary of State, Biden's Secretary of State authorized Toledo's surrender, Toledo needs to be taken into custody so that Biden's government can hold on to him to ensure that he surrendered, he surrendered to the Peruvian authorities. Now, the request to surrender him was filed and now there's a hearing for March 9th. I want you guys to pay attention. So why would this loser playing Secretary of State put it like this? Now, if you read the news media, they'll tell you he has a PhD from Stanford University, was Peru's president for six years, and he was detained in California in 2019 where um, he was living anyway, right? He apparently is supposedly the guy that did, you know, bribery and scandals. Actually, he was creating an army to take back Peru, which is, in fact, what was happening. But apparently houses were paid with money and nobody knows exactly what happened. It's just really sticky and messy. And I don't even trust the State Department. That was all their fix. They had Weinstein right there. But I'm just going to... Uh, he was actually, he's living in Menlo Park. He's been under house arrest, I think, from 2020, right? Uh, when he posted bond. And, you know, they've said that he is a house risk, that, like a, that, he, that he can't be under house arrest anymore because he's a flight risk. So he's been under house arrest since 2020. It's now 2023. And the State Department is saying, well, he could be a flight risk, so we need to lock him up to make sure that we get him extradited. We're going to get it done. Now, an Israeli Peruvian businessman, Maimon, who was very close to Toledo and uh, his, you know, co-workers, was very key in the case. And he's the one that said that Toledo was the one doing all the bribes. And he acknowledged that he was paying bribes in Brazil and several nations across America in, in what they called a car wash, uh, Lava Jato. And um, that put a lot of politicians behind bars. Now, it kind of sounds like the shit that Obama was getting done. And this Israeli-Peruvian businessman, Maimon, did this. So these are very important facts, right? Because you're going to see Peru literally being shook. And they are already shook. 
because they have a coup. And now for some reason, they want this 74 year old guy in jail, even though he's been hanging out at his house under house arrest. They've taken his passport, so he's not going anywhere, but he's apparently a flight risk. So now the State Department has filed requesting that they take him in and detain him. And that's happening on March 9th, which is the day after March 8th, which all of you should be watching all these fucking women marches that are going to be happening. Remember, Roe versus Wade was overturned. This is the first International Women's Day, and it happens to be my birthday, and these people want to do some stuff. I mean, we even have the Krasersteins all excited like they're getting uteruses. So it's really important. The timing and why they're sending him now, for me, if I was pro-Peru and I was, say, working in Peru, or if I was a patriot in Peru, I would be drumming up the fact that the Americans are mistreating Toledo and, you know, Toledo needs to come back because we need to fix this because they're getting some fixed elections right now. But you know what? They're going to be so shook up, they're not even going to be paying attention. And that's what sucks. Why? Because they have they are actually on a nationwide state of emergency right now. And we're going to go to our amazing Indian channel that we love, who will explain that. By the ouster of former President Pedro Castillo, Peru's defense minister has announced a nationwide state of emergency. This will allow soldiers to assist police in maintaining public safety. Here's a report for more details. After a week of violent protests following the ouster of former President Pedro Castillo, Peru's defense minister on Wednesday announced a nationwide state of emergency. The 30-day declaration grants new powers to the military, allowing soldiers to assist police, and could mean the suspension of certain freedoms, including the right to assembly. The mass demonstrations erupted after Castillo was impeached on December 7th and arrested after illegally trying to dissolve the Andean nation's Congress. He was charged with rebellion and conspiracy, and Castillo's former vice president, Dina Boluarte, was sworn into office. Protesters have blockaded highways, set fires to buildings, and invaded airports. According to authorities, six people have died in clashes with the police. Meanwhile, prosecutors said they were seeking 18 months of pretrial detention for Castillo. Peru's Supreme Court met to consider the request, but later suspended the session until Thursday. Supporters say Castillo is being mistreated. Pedro Castillo should have been released today. Today marks the seventh day of his preliminary detention. He should have been released at 1.30 p.m., but yesterday at midnight, the prosecutor asked for 18 months of preliminary prison for Castillo. Right now, the president has no lawyers. We need international help, please. Boluarte, speaking to reporters from the presidential palace, called for peace and said, quote, we can't have dialogue if there's violence between us, adding that elections could be moved forward to December 2023 from April 2024, a date she had pledged earlier. The vote is currently slated for 2026 when Castillo's term would have ended. Castillo has gained support from fellow regional leftist leaders, including Mexican President Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador, who criticized his removal as undemocratic. And that's because it's coming to a town near you. Of course, that chick, and if you look into her, you'll see why I say that chick, is saying, oh, we'll move it to 2023, because if you remember correctly, when I was reading off and paraphrasing, so that way I don't, you know, out my sources, 
they already said that there's going to be elections in Taiwan in 2024, elections in the U.S. in 2024. We will be distracted with our elections. Taiwan will be having theirs. And once the elections are done, there is war. So obviously, she's going to have the elections happen before 2024. Are you paying attention? This is the problem. So the question that we should be asking ourselves is, now they've got a bird flu. Okay, I found the clip again because I lost it. A bird flu that is killing sea lions. There is an H1, H5N1 outbreak that is huge. And now they've arrested a president. They've locked him up. People are like, wait a minute, that's not the law. Now they're just making up new laws. We're going to hold him. His vice president, Pence, I mean, his vice president is sitting there and giving orders. If you look into her, you'll see why. And she is exactly, she's playing the role that she was supposed to be. They put Castillo in, right? Castillo tried to play ball in the beginning, and then he came in hard and said, ha ha, I was the Trojan horse. Peru will be independent. We are not doing these programs. We're going to nix that program. How dare you? This, this, this. And it's like, no, that program is to hijack their environment. This is giving, you know, easements to the United Nations. This is giving easements to the Blue Helmets. This is us agreeing that the WHO has power over our indigenous populations. I say no. And so they're like, oh my gosh, he's like totally ripping off this and he's trying to do this. So let's get him out. And, uh, and he's out and he's in jail. And people are like, well, wait a minute. Now that this is happening, this is happening, and uh, and this is happening. Lion was a reluctant participant in a recent nasal swab test in Peru, where more than 700 sea lions have died of bird flu. As veterinarians and health experts worked to understand an alarming outbreak of the virus that has spread to mammals. Javier Hara is a veterinarian with Peru's National Forestry and Wildlife Service. What we remember initially started with pelicans last year. Now it's affecting these marine mammals. In recent weeks, crews in protective plastic suits have collected and buried hundreds of sea lions from several beaches along Peru's central coast. According to government data, Peru recorded its first case of the virus in birds in November, and since then, 63,000 birds have died from the disease. The World Organization for Animal Health said bird flu has killed more than 200 million birds across the globe since the beginning of 2021, either from the disease or mass culling. On Monday, the incoming chief scientist at the World Health Organization said governments should invest in vaccines for all strains of bird flu that exist in the animal kingdom as an insurance policy in case of an outbreak in humans. The United States, Britain, France, and Japan have all suffered record losses of poultry from outbreaks of avian flu in the past year. The WHO said earlier this month that the recent spread to mammals needed to be monitored, but that the risk to humans remained low. Now, you know, I would have loved to just say that this is just stuff that they're throwing to see what sticks. They're coming for them. The country is actually divided. This is one of the most impartial reports that I've seen, and it's freaking coming from Al Jazeera, believe it or not, about Peru. El peruano quiere un gobierno que nos represente por el cual fue elegido Pedro Castillo. 
Yo levanto mi protesta como peruana, como maestra, ¿por qué nuestros hijos tienen que seguir muriendo en el país? Me mata a Castillo es un delincuente. Porque nunca vamos a ser un país comunista. Estos manifestantes están agrediendo a la policía y qué cosa esperan, que la policía no haga nada. You know, this is in Spanish, uh, and this will be available on Rumble for those on the podcast that are not Spanish speakers. But these people, they're showing both sides. This is one of the most, most, I want to say indifferent, but not really, um, reports. It's the most, okay? So that you can get a picture of what's going on. And it gave me some, like, really hair-raising um, deja vu in regards to predictive analytic outcomes that were present in late 2020, which was, you're a usurper, Pence. But he said that about, you know, the chick that's running the show now in Peru. Nosotros podemos hacer uso de nuestro pleno derecho de salir a protesta cuando nuestro país prácticamente lo han sumido en un terrorismo de Estado, en un golpe de Estado. You heard that, right? She said, we are engulfed in state terrorism. They are killing people. And then you have other people, we're not going to be communists. And then another person's like, well, if you're like standing up and protesting and you're not listening to police, they can shoot you. And it's like, what the heck? How is this ever okay, especially from a nation like Peruvians, right, that totally believe in independence, but they also feel exposed because they don't have many allies and borders are starting to be redrawn. Tenemos un congreso dictador, tenemos a una usurpadora en el poder que es la señora Dina Baluarte. Unido, jamás será vencido. Tiene manchada en las manos de sangre. Esta señora sí ha vendido a los poderes fácticos de los grupos de poder. And look at this. They throw in some LGBT gay flags on one side. They have them on the other side. They're saying that Congress are the communists. And this is how you blur the lines. All you have to do is put woke elements on both sides. And then you're so confused. You have no idea what is happening. This is not okay. You have to authorize your march. You can't just go, says the police slash military police. Entonces, en un estado de emergencia, esta señora se dé el derecho, 30 días ha dicho, se dé el derecho de disparar a quien se le pegue su regalada gana. Oh, wow. And I'm going to say this. Did you hear that? It says, when you declare a state of a national emergency, that gives people the right 
to shoot people on the spot. Pay attention. Literally shooting people in the street. Young people shooting in the street because they gave that declaration. It's very important to understand what state of emergency powers are given to people, especially when they're usurpers. El temor que, que tenemos no solamente yo, sino toda la gente que estamos luchando contra esto, es la única seguridad que nos da el estado de emergencia es el respaldo que tenemos de la policía y la fuerza armada, pero que justamente está siendo violentada por estas eh, turbas y disturbios de esta gente asusada por los comunistas. So here's the thing. The legitimate fight is not for Castillo. <clears throat> the legitimate fight, and this is how you confuse people, and this is how it's perfect. This is the perfect psyop. And this is why we're going to end it right here today. Um, hopefully the archivist will split this up into two podcasts. Tomorrow I'm going to have a very short one. Peru right now is split. They've got people that want to be an independent Peru, which indeed is something that they want, but they have no allies. They need to make deals. Because Peru, think about it. They're a big landmass with not a very big army, with very few people that are trained to be in the army. They have resources that other nations want. And in order to get protection, you must pay. It feels like it's the mobsters because that's exactly what's happening. Castillo <clears throat> issued policies that force vaccinated every single Peruvian. And that was the deal he made as long as he had safety at his feet. He sacrificed people for the safety of the nation or its survival. And now that he's been removed, Dina has come in. Dina is a WEF puppet. But she knows that if they're doing it to him, they're going to do it to her. And therefore, she would rather create full disruption with the, you know, declaration of an emergency where people get uproared, right? And now the two sides, one side call the commies, the, co the conservatives and the, and, the, and, the, and the, you know, left. So you have the right and the left. One's calling the other side a commie, right? So you're confused. But once you see teachers in the mix, you knew who was talking was the left, but they were saying sound things. And if you see the commie side, you had the people that were, you know, what they say were the commie side, the conservative side, right? That they were speaking common sense, like maybe they shouldn't do this. Maybe we need to work in another way. Maybe, maybe. But the thing is, Peru doesn't have the infrastructure the United States does to conduct this. So here's how it goes. You give them more issues to deal with. A little bit of shaking, a little bit of quaking, and a 30-day, you know, national disaster. And suddenly you're like, hey, I need some help from the blue helmets. Would you help? Because we're in turmoil.
And suddenly you get a flux of refugees going down Bolivia and Chile to destabilize the area, cause issues with the water, and it's game over. And so these are just preliminary steps. And one would think, wow, they're like way ahead in the protest side. Wait till you see what's going on in other countries that you're not even paying attention to. You know, we could look at, you know, let's travel to Bali. Let's travel to Fiji and the Philippines, right? Why don't we go to other nations and see? Because they're way ahead of the game than we are. In the United States, we are so asleep. We actually think we know what's happening globally. Here's the one thing you have to know. God wins in the end. And like Toledo said, you know, you've got to have very strong legs to not bend the knee. And I am really hoping that all those that are on their knees get that strength in the leg and stand up because these people have no power over us. We in the United States are afforded an infrastructure and pathways to do this to avoid scenarios like this. And right now we're watching within our borders disasters happening every day shootouts, mass shootouts. Oh my gosh, we've got everything. We got unidentified flying objects. We've got spy balloons. We've got, you know, threats of war, just like Putin said, Hey, Biden just declared war because of Crimea. Right. And I'm watching a lot more leftists saying, you know what? Putin's kind of right. Cause they violated the Minsk agreement. You know, I said it day one, Hirsch brought it home, obviously, cause he's a genius. Day one, what did I say? We blew that pipeline up. Now that's an uproar. And now Biden is being called a warmonger everywhere. What if China, Russia, and the United States are working together? I'm just saying. What if they have some, you know, script to unleash hell on all of them and pray that their people can discern? Because when you don't have discernment, you have Peru on your hands. So it is very important for the next couple months for those of you that actually fancy, you know, learning about these things to just drop in and Google the word Peru and see what's going on there. Maybe, you know, get on YouTube channels or Snapchats and find Peru hotspots and look through Snapchat. That's what I do. That's how you can find real news too. Right where you just scroll on the map and then you could see hot maps. You could see live videos right then and there. That's what I do. And you're going to pay attention and see how this can end for us if we don't stand up. A precipice is here. You're not seeing it yet because you haven't seen the cliff yet, right? I'm telling you, you're at the top right now. And even though you think there's a straight way, it's a cliff and you're going to have to decide. I'm going to tell you, we're going to be Indiana Jones. We're just going to take that leap of faith and watch how we're fine. And that's what's important. I know it, the ending is going to be amazing. But the gravity of the situation is a lot bigger than just our elections. This is happening on a global scale. They're attacking them with everything they have. Remember, they had Chinese balloons in Venezuela reported. <laughs> when I heard that, I was like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Is it coming from Venezuela? <laughs> like, <laughs> Right. <clears throat> in order to stand up correctly, you have to use what you have. Unfortunately, the Peruvians don't have anything right now with that declaration. They are at the mercy, mercy of God. And may God help them.
Because what is happening is so much confusion. They have woke elements on both sides. They have mouthpieces, you know, that are State Department trained on both sides. And this is the State Department's doing. This is not your average thing. So you hit them with this. You talk about corruption. You leak some stuff. You get people upset. Oh, you're corrupt. And then you get a team saying, oh, you're corrupt. And then they're already upset. You mass vaccinated. You're corrupt. And then the other side's like, okay, he's corrupt. But no, he's not. Vaccinations are good. And then it's like, you're corrupt. And then it's like, no, he's not corrupt. And they're like, okay, he may not be corrupt, but this isn't the right way. And it's like, what's the right way? Well, now we're fucked because this chick does declared an emergency and they don't go to jail if they shoot someone. So this is a big problem. And at that point, you know, are they armed? And hence why the Second Amendment is so important because it protects the first. So keep that in mind as you see. And we can listen to the song called Peru on our exit out for today. I will see you on Fiery Friday with a shorter show because I'm going to have one on Saturday that's going to be pretty dope. Here we go. Bless. I'm again, I'll be so. Can you want capture my soul? I'm again, I'll be so. Make we want one more, one more. Better, better, I'm loose. Even better than the para. To nothing, Josie. I'm in Josie. Won't go if I want one, Josie. I'm not playing with you, I'm not joking. My thought of mom is loaded. Me, you can fight, but I'm on body. I'm on duty, but I'm on.